0: Hi there, welcome to this week's Premier League Tonight podcast, which is in fact a special edition of FA Cup Tonight. I'm Jay Comfrey and this week I was joined at Coward Road by three men who know all about what it takes to play and win cup finals in Frank Lampard, Steve Mannerman and Chris Sutton. And in a special part of the show this week, we also spoke to award-winning author Michael Calvin, who joined us to preview his book-turned-BT Sport documentary, No Hunger in Paradise, which explores the academy system and the pressures and pitfalls that prevent young players from making it as a professional footballer. Well, the FA Cup third round returned this weekend with plenty of drama and major talking points, so here are all the best bits. Let's hear what George Baker has to say. He was happy, delighted with what Mark Robbins' side did, because he's a Coventry fan. Here were his post-match thoughts.
1: Well there we have it. We've remarkably pulled off one of our biggest cup shocks in years and we deserved it. We were dominant, well they were dominant but we always thought the better team. We always thought the team that was gonna score and I'm just, it's one of the proudest moments I've had as a Coventry fan. Just all the rubbish we've had in recent years and this is one of them standout moments again that makes me fall in love with the club all over again. I can't believe it would beat Stoke City, the
0: Premier League team getting get in indeed and I'm pleased to say Jack Grimmer is on the phone round of applause for Jack Grimmer everybody <laughs> the man who won the game today the province dream. Jack congratulations how are you feeling? Hi
2: uh, it's an incredible it. uh, you know I heard you speaking about the magic of the cup and you know to, to score one goal in the FA Cup is, is incredible especially it being a winner
0: talk us through it it was a decent strike wasn't it? it was yeah, I think uh, I, I managed
2: to sort of um, I was looking for the cross, and then I just, you know, thought to take a touch and shoot, and luckily, I, you know, it's squeezed in the near post.
3: Jack, this is Stevie McManam, I and I just wanted to ask you. I know you're doing well in the in the league. How difficult is it, is it to play on on your pitch at home?
2: Yeah, it's extremely difficult, and I think, like, you know, full credit to Stoke, they managed to actually pass the ball in it. Um, you know, I think you can see from the pictures, you know, not in the best of shape, um, which probably helped us a bit today. But, um, yeah, it was, it was very difficult. So, thankfully, it worked in our favour and managed to get the win.
4: Jack, Frank Lampard here, mate. Just uh, congratulations, first of all. But who, who do you want next? Who would be your pick if that's you could take question, anyone? That's the question. That's <laughs> the uh, question.
2: I'm a big Man United fan. Um, I would love to play. we have been lucky enough to play them before, um, but it was at home. Um, so I'd love to play Old Trafford and, and hopefully draw them away
0: absolutely and Jack we should finish by just mentioning the Coventry fans this show has been set up for the fans 14,000 there today they've been absolutely the ringer in the last few seasons with the ownership at Coventry and all the other things going on so a great day for you a good day for the club but for the fans they deserved today didn't they
2: yeah definitely I've, I've said it um before I think today was definitely one for the fans because you know even with everything going on and on and off the pitch you know they've supported us out at all and you know as you see today they turned out in numbers and thankfully we
0: managed to get the win for them well well done mate congratulations you march on we'll be uh, crossing our fingers you get manchester united then on monday night in the draw yeah here's thing. thank you very much thanks very much right let's yeah. hear now from elliot who will not be feeling too positive because he's a stoke fan here are his post-match thoughts Stoke have crashed out of the FA Cup after a 2-1 defeat to Coventry. Mark Hughes' position is untenable now. There's no way he can stay on as manager. Peter Coates, you now need to act. You need to make a decision, get a new manager in, and you need to get him gone as soon as possible. And for me, the worst bit about it is I've been surrounded by Coventry fans. <laughs> 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 uh, Mark Hughes,
3: is that it now? Yeah, I think it is now. I don't like to say that about managers, but after the last couple of weeks, um, certainly the Newcastle defeat Was crushing today I fe- To a certain extent I lost a lot of the game and, and I felt a little bit sorry for them The second goal I mean we just spoke to Jack Grimm It was a nice strike But the goalkeeper should have saved it A goalkeeper of Jack Butland's quality And they then went on to miss Chance after chance after chance In the last 10-15 minutes And they were kept on going across to Mark Hughes And I, and I felt I really felt for them as a, But I think um, I think time has run out Because he's, he's, he's certainly lost all of the fans now Rather than a section of them yeah.
1: They've been in regression for a couple of seasons now under Mark Hughes. I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, transfer, windows, uh, Perahino hasn't been a success. I think Imbula um, and Vimmer, you know, a lot of money wasted. Uh, and I, th- I think the biggest thing is the fans have turned in huge numbers. Uh, I-, I think he has to go. I thought he should have gone after the, you know, the debacle against Newcastle.
0: And the breaking news is that it's emerging on social media that indeed Mark Hughes has been sacked. That's what the Telegraph are reporting now. Mm. And you would have to say, in this era of trigger-happy owners getting of managers quickly, they've, they've been patient with Mark Hughes. They've given him a chance at Stoke, haven't um, they?
4: It's just got to the point now where it feels right for everybody. I think mm. what Steve said, you start to feel sorry for Mark Hughes. What more can you do to turn that around? The fans don't want him there. The players are not really reacting. A change is probably the best thing for the club. So yeah. the right solution for everybody, it seems.
3: And I think he was given enough time, actually, wasn't he? You can't can't fault Stoke City's owners. They've given him another game and they've given him another game. And, you know, to to lose to to Coventry in the FA Cup in the first round, it it is a big shock. It's the shock that everybody's talking about a Premier League side going out to lower league opposition. And, you know, as I said, it was right all around, I think, this time around.
0: And now we arrive at that. Age-old question of when you're getting rid of a manager who comes in to do a job. What kind of a manager they need do, do they need in there now at Stoke?
1: Well, I think first and foremost they needed a different voice. You know, the players clearly weren't responding uh, to the instructions, con- conceding uh, too many goals in a, in a relegation scrap, and they've got. I think they've got a tough one next at Manchester United. Then they've got, I think, three or four fixtures where you think are going to be key to Stoke's
4: survival. So they need to make the decision quickly. Whoever it is. What do you think? Uh, experience mm. and I, I, I Premier like, League experience. I think so, and we go on that merry-go-round. We seem to talk about every week yeah, yeah, five yeah. or six ones, but I think with the players they've got, I watched them at Chelsea, and they were terrible from start to finish, and I couldn't see a way out from them. So I don't think a, a young manager can come in and go right. We're going to change and play three at the back and mm. play great football. I think they need to dig themselves out of it this year, and then and then see yeah, they start
3: got. again, isn't it? Because they've got a lot of. We spoke about West Ham just after Slaven Bilic lost his job, and. When you looked at the team, they had players, random players, different types of players from from everywhere and you thought, what are they trying to do? What are they trying to build? And I have that impression of, of Stoke. They've got Shawcross there and people like that who have been there a long time that you can rely on, but the new signings just seem to be signings just pick from I don't know from from thin air at times you wonder how they want to play what what kind of um, progression are they going through are they going to bring through the youth team or are they just going to buy random players and they they don't look as if they've got any direction today and I wonder if if Uzi was buying the players or whether it was somebody else buying the players
0: and um, that's why it looks as if they have to start again Okay, well it's just been confirmed by Stoke as well Mark Hughes has indeed lost okay. his job It's a difficult one now for them, isn't it? Because they are in a relegation scrap. They are down there towards the bottom fighting for their lives in the Premier League. So do you go and get a manager in, which we're seeing a bit of at the moment, on these six-month deals till the end of the season? and just try and stay in the Premier League and that's their aim, or do you go for someone who's a long-term project and,
4: and you wipe you, you the slate clean. You know, We're already in a transfer window as well. First thing first, get yourself in the Premier League next season. And I think that takes what we've seen with David Moyes. The one thing he's done at West Ham, Stroud was organise them. Mm. And I think that's one thing you'd associate with Stoke, really, that they could organise and they could have a go and would generally grind out results. They've lost that completely. So I think with the personnel, I, I, I agree with the direction thing. I think the direction's been terrible in the last two years of who they're buying. So, but get through this season because I, I don't think they can look too long down the line. I don't think the line will be there that long. They could be in the championship. Who's available? That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, well, uh,
1: Slaven Bilic is is, av- is available, but when you look at what happened at West Ham, would Stoke rely on you know somebody whose team ultimately shipped goals uh, this season? So, uh, no. I mean, it, I think um, you know Frank is right as to you know. Usual suspects, but a lot of them are now back in jobs, aren't Mm -hmm.
0: they? Yeah, Okay. Well, just to to bring you right up to date, this is the message from Stoke City on social media. Stoke can confirm the contract of Mark Hughes has been terminated with immediate effect. We'd like to thank Mark for all he's achieved at the club over the last four and a half years, notably in guiding us to three successive ninth-place finishes in the Premier League. We wish him every success for the future. The club will look to appoint a new manager as soon as possible and we'll be making no further comment at this time. The favourite for the job is Ryan Giggs.
3: Well I'd, l- I'd like it to have a new direction Something like that I don't want them to do, be short term I think they're strong enough to stay in the Premier League Regardless of who will be manager mm. I know you're taking a chance of course you are But we've seen Well certainly I've seen every Premier League club Numerous times this year And I think Stoke will be fine But I'd like them to pick a bit long term And
0: I'd, I'd like Gigsies to get the job Hard oh, job though for Ryan isn't it Going into that dressing room in the position that Stoke are in Yeah but
4: you'd take it wouldn't you if you're yeah. Giggs, oh, you know what gigs. mean? Yeah. it's one of those jobs. As Steve said, I've written. They've got the players there, so if you can be a catalyst and keep them up, yeah. then you. And go I think we'd there. all
0: like and they'd to. And they have a know if Ryan
4: Giggs can be a matter. You know, let's give,
0: it, the the chance. Someone give a chance. The players would have a huge
3: amount of respect for for Giggs. wouldn't he? They'd have a huge amount of respect
1: for him, Chris. Yeah, look, you, you've got to start somewhere. I mean, that, yeah. you know, it's it's a tough task. But when you look how many teams are in a relegation scrap, you know, why yeah. not Ryan Giggs? Is that your attempt at
0: being positive? That's being being extremely positive there. on, Frank. Back, crouchy. Player manager. Yeah, could be, couldn't he? What if he's ready for it? That's hard, though, isn't it, to suddenly manage the players in <laughs> uh, your dressing be good room? good value, though, wouldn't it <laughs> <laughs> You know what happens <laughs> when they, <laughs> when they <laughs> score the winner in his well, first well, game Let's start it. Let's get crouchy manager. Uh, player manager, crouchy. Chris. People say the Stoke have had to quickly to arrest their form under Mark Hughes, like they didn't put up with him for five years. Will no alarms and no surprises. Hughes sacked now. Either get Gary Rowett. He might keep us up. He knows the championship. If we go down that's positivity uh, and Martin O'Neill uh, slope Roy Keane um, scare our way to safety um, by playing a 4-4-2 well, Martin O'Neill um, certainly a, a and Johnson. finally uh, Gavin Smith it's about time Mike Hughes was sacked the right decision in my opinion would definitely have taken them down and he spent money on absolute rubbish um, just before we move on something I want to draw your attention to in the programme today nice looking programme as well uh, page 55 Lee Power who was a, a Norwich City player back in the 90s who I'm sure Chris remembers um, he talks about his first his best and his worst. And when it comes down to worst-dressed teammate, this is what he had to say. <laughs> Sutty. Always this? had the worst clothes without a shadow of a doubt. Foxy, Rule Fox, and I tried yeah. our best to help get him kitted out, but his dress sense was horrendous. I've not seen him for a while, but I spoke to someone the other day who sees Sutty from time to time, and it would appear he's not improved over the years. <laughs>
2: That's
4: a great jacket. proven that wrong, isn't it? That's proven that wrong. Do you like the jacket? Just, wrong, just show
0: it? us that the, you've got the little For elbow the pads and everything. Oh, oh, look at this. Oh, He's oh, got oh, the it. patches on. It's my details. dad's jacket. The details. <laughs> They're cheap, they're cheap shots at him, then, are. They? they are, aren't they? So aren't oh, they? This is fashionable in Norwich. No, you look isn't? lovely. I, I did want the camera to zoom in on you, but they said they can't because it starts to throw. <laughs> which is like the first rule of television: you don't wear a jacket like that in a TV studio. Oh, thanks, How long have you worked? I'm with learning. Us for? Yeah, absolutely. But he is t- totally right. He is bang, bang on trend for Norfolk. Uh, right, let's turn our attention back to the FA Cup, and it's time for another round of applause. This time for Kevin Nolan. Kevin, congratulations. That's Today, away from home uh, against Brentford, John Stead got the winner. Um, what a brilliant year you've had, then! This is a lovely way to cap off twelve months. You arrived at the club; they were ninety-first in the Football League, and now you're fourth into the fourth round and, and flying high in the league as well, mate.
5: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been a it's been hard work, but a really enjoyable one. And you know, I always see me path of, of going in the management, but I, I didn't expect it to be this soon. But I must admit, I'm really enjoying every minute of it at the minute and just, you know, working hard as I can to just keep getting better, really.
4: Kevin, Frank Lampard here. Um, I'm doing my coaching badges at the minute. Yeah, I'm you know, just starting throughout. And just, just a general question, what's the hardest thing? What's the one thing you think you've found the most taxing thing to try and get across to the players or, you know, to bring the success that you're getting now?
5: Um, well, I think, well, to be, to be honest... Frank, I, I've, I've, um, you know, I've been quite lucky because I walked into a club with which had a lot of uh, good players in at first. Uh, the, the most, the hardest thing I should say is, is actually getting the the, the badges. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, obviously being involved in football, uh, you know, like yourself, since since we were kids, I think it, 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 you know you sort of you, you love and you thrive in that environment. Uh, so for me, um, I, I'm just I'm just trying to take each day as it comes, learn as much as I possibly can. Uh, I had a, a really well good but bad experience at audience, and I think that's helped me right. in, in this job. Uh, you know, and because you you know it's the owners, and I think the most important thing is to try and get a good owner. If you've got a good owner, I think you've you know you've got you've got a, a real good chance and a good opportunity to to, to move on.
1: Kevin congratulations uh, would you take would you rather take a good cup run or promotion
5: well, <laughs> um, well listen I, I, I want to I, I I I be promoted don't get me wrong but you know it in the, in the shall we say the itinerary when I walked into the job this time last year it was about you know sustaining this league and sustaining ourselves in this league and making sure that we, we weren't in the trouble what we was but obviously now where we sit, you know, it, it's obviously a possibility, and we've got to continue to do that. But uh, I, I must admit, I'd, I'd, I'd rather be promoted than have a good cup run. Although probably the owner had run it the other way because of the money and everything what goes with it, you know. And that's been probably the most testing thing is starting to, you know, get the money just to help and get players in and out. Really.
3: And Kev, has Allen, the chairman, got any more money to spend? I, I think um, come the, come the draw on on monday is the draw if you get yeah. if you got a if you get a good hit against liverpool or maybe a a united or something there's some gate receipts that need spending somewhere isn't
5: there yeah well you know that's what well, I, I mean that's when you're in league dude, that's what you're always hoping that you're going to get one of the big boys you know um and, and sort of get you know a televised game all that type of stuff which just helps with everything what goes on you know in the in the annual you know money wise and things but, um, for me, I, I, you know, I think we've got we, we've got to be clever. I've got I've, I've inedited, well, I inherited a good spot last year. I was able to add to it in the summer. I don't really want to be chopping and changing a lot. If I, if there is someone who we feel that can come in and really, you know, give us that bit of a you know a bit of a lift and a bit of a push and push the lads who are, who are already there, then yeah, I think we'll be interested. But at the minute, I think you know I'm quite content with what we've got and what I'm working with
0: good man Kevin well look it's going well for you you're making a name for yourself uh, do you fancy moving to Stoke <laughs>
5: <laughs> I've just been hearing a lot it, I mean listen it's, it's, it's tough isn't it you know this managerial stuff but I'm loving every minute of it and hopefully it'll continue to go the right way but uh, I think that might just might be a bit too soon for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: alright then listen thanks for joining us well That's done of luck you. mate Well done, not you man. a great job we'll Thank see you in the draw cheers. Cheers. Cheers, cheers, cheers mate Top man. Thank thanks Kevin cheers. all the best Right, let's talk then. Philip Coutinho. Um, it was only last night that you and I went out on the town in Norwich. I showed you the sights of this fine city. and We, we were speaking about Coutinho yeah. and you said, why on earth would he move now when he can't play yeah. in the Champions League for the rest of the season for Barcelona? So this move has taken you by surprise a bit? No, the, well the move hasn't. I think the move was inevitable and most Liverpool fans... The timing? The timing,
3: I just don't see what good comes out of it. Listen, it doesn't bother me whether he goes now or in January. I just feel like he's in really good form for Liverpool. He was captain of Liverpool when he was playing. He scored lots of goals, making lots of chances. Looks, you know, visually looks really good. And now he's going to go to a Barcelona team who were flying in the in the league. Um, he can't play in the Champions League for for either team now. I just thought it was a bit of a wasted opportunity. They could have e- they could have easily done the deal and and, and gone at the end of the season. Um, there's a World Cup year. Will he walk back into the, Will he walk right into that Barcelona team? Probably because of his price tag. But Dembele's fit now. Um, you know, in the there. You know, they're playing really well. I just don't see, you know, what 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 advantage he's got for for Barcelona or Liverpool. Yeah, a really lack too. of like,
1: ambition selling him from Liverpool. No, I don't
3: think so. I think a player wants to go. He's Brazilian. I don't think isn't 142 million pounds quite a bonus for Liverpool? Well, of course it is. When you pay eight million quid, yeah. of course, of course, it's a bonus. But you're never going to stop. You're never going to stop a Brazilian it? and his family wanting to move to Barcelona or Real Madrid. You're not. It's just part of life. And if um, you know, if as I said before, if it happened with Xabi Alonso when Real Madrid called, if Davide Zajac, it will eventually go back. A lot of players want to go back.
4: If you if you if, you're, if you flip it in your Barcelona though, and you pay 140 million pounds, mm. and you say, but you can have him in six months when he's had another 30 games, might be injured, might be this, might be that. If you're paying the money, you want the player. Don't yeah, I know. Oh, I get Barcelona.
3: I get, but I I just don't necessarily get the players' point of view. Because he needs to play, and
0: he needs to play constantly. It's his dream, isn't it? It's not like he's a Liverpool lad that's grown up playing for the club.
4: I think he's you know, taken si- six months on the chin for a move that he really wants to make, yeah. and he's nervous mm. to wait six months, and, and that's his call. And I know and well, Liverpool would have gained and Barcelona are waiting on this player, but I think he, he's, he wanted it so much, didn't he, that he, didn't, he wasn't ready to wait, it seems. And listen, £142 million is only a good amount of money if you reinvest that money Well...
0: You know, did they do well enough with the Suarez money? Did Tottenham do well enough with the Gareth Bale money? That is now what the conversation has to become, isn't it?
1: But they invested in Van Dyke, didn't mm. they? Which was the area which I think most people uh, would say was a concern. But I suppose you know, if Liverpool end up finishing fifth in the Premier League should they have let yeah, them go that's the big that'll be the big
3: question they'll live and die about where they finished in the Premier League Now it won't necessarily be the Champions League because they were not one of the favours to win the Champions League but if suddenly they're in fourth they're in a Champions League place now if they don't finish in the Champions League place you know, people will hark back to we shouldn't have let Coutinho go because he was so instrumental. He was that that little bit of genius to unlock a game. What if Mane gets injured? What if Salah gets injured who's injured at the moment? Why didn't we keep him? That's the only thing that'll hang over a lot of people's heads, unfortunately.
0: Could it derail things for them, do you think that push for the top four?
4: Uh, yeah, well he's a great player, so yeah, he's definitely taken an edge off their team. Uh, and it could derail them and it could be a talking point. We're talking already about it. They've only got to have one or two games yeah. where they don't create and, and people start asking that question.
3: I think what will happen now is Liverpool will go and buy, go and buy people now. Yeah. They'll have to... January's not a great time to buy no, players. No, it's not. The but,
4: pressure's going to be on to do it now. But They,
3: it? may, they, may, they may buy in just you know just to give the fans a little bit of PR again and maybe do what you know, Navi is doing and come in the summer. But I think they'll have to go out now and show the fans that, yes, we've lost him, but we've got plan B. We've, we have got somebody ready to come in because this has been on the cards yeah. for a while this, this move and Liverpool have been busy in the background making making sure they've got replacements whether it's in defensive areas whether it's goalie or whether it's a centre, you know, centre-forward they'll have replacements lines up re- ready to push the button now the money's coming What
4: would you spend the money on?
0: What areas would you look to uh, strengthen? A goalkeeper
4: yeah. uh, and I'll get a goal scorer I'll get an out-and-out out, out mm. front man I love Firmino I love the way he plays but sometimes I look at him and say for all the creation and now Coutinho's gone mm. I think teams that win things generally have a 25-30 goals a season, mm. man. Quite 11. well. Salah could be going that way. He's not an out-and-out striker. The problem
1: is, you get 142 million, but how do you replace Coutinho? Now, you know, I, I agree. With probably ben. a replacement. I think, isn't I, I, well, I think a, a centre mm. forward uh, and a goalkeeper. Just, just missing. I, I've been disappointed with Sturridge. You know, I think his days at Liverpool, are, you know, are
0: well and truly over. So, I think a centre forward
1: would be mm. the, the next option.
0: OK, uh, a bit of reaction coming in right now. Uh, Kieran Reed says, I'm disappointed Coutinho has left, but we've got plenty of money for him. I'm looking forward to seeing who Klopp brings in to fill that gap. And James, my opinion on the Coutinho move is that it's great for the club. Even though it's a huge loss, we're able to bring in better players and make our squad stronger than it already is. Do you know I think the biggest disappointment, actually, if, particularly if you're not a Liverpool fan, if you are, it's different. But it's just losing a brilliant player in the Premier League, isn't it? Mm. We all love watching him. He's special. Yeah, it's uh... Top
1: player. I still think, you know, I know it's a a tall order of the Champions League, but I I still think Coutinho at Liverpool in the Champions League. You can't rule Liverpool out. They can see too many goals. But, I mean, they can beat anybody on the day. They're scintillating.
0: Um, Video assistant referees will make their debut in English football on Monday evening as part of the Brighton Crystal Palace game. It's live on BT Sports and Graham Pole has been, been to investigate what may well be happening. Take a look at this and then we're going to discuss the new arrival of VAR in English football.
6: So during the game, when will VAR come into force? The VAR will monitor four key situations. So those are goals, penalty kicks, whether they've been awarded or not, direct red card offences, so not second nails, just direct red cards, and mistaken identity. Say an incident occurs on the field of play, the VAR will then say, I'm checking that incident, which alerts the referee. At that point, if the ball then goes out of play, we will delay the restart of the game to allow the check to be completed. The VAR looks at it, If he comes to the conclusion that the referee has made a clear and obvious error, he'll advise the referee to make an on-field review. So first of all you'll see the referee make the communication signal, I'm talking to the VAR, then you'll see the referee make the TV screen signal saying we're now having a, a review of the situation. Then one of two things happens, either the referee for clear situations will rely on the evidence provided by the VAR, change the decision, or for those subjective situations the referee will go across to the monitor look at the footage, make his decision, he'll then come back onto the field of play, communicate again that it's a review decision and award whatever the outcome is. Take Deli Alli's challenge for example. So on the field of play, it looks like a tackle is just a reckless foul challenge. So Craig cautions the player. I think we would all agree that if you look at the footage, it merits a red card. So you have evidence to say it's a clear and obvious error by the referee. One of the challenges for using the VAR is to work out which is the best speed to look at a particular incident. Because we all know slow motion can distort things, likewise seeing things in real time sometimes you don't see the full extent of it. So somewhere in between is the right answer and what we're trying to the officials in training is use the slow motion to establish point of contact, use real time footage to establish intensity. How far back can the review go? The review can go back to the start of that attacking possession phase that directly linked to the goal. From that moment roll forward. So you can look then at challenges, you can look at offside situations, anything that directly impacts on that goal being scored. The final decision is always taken by the referee. When the VR looks at an incident, it takes about 30 to 40 seconds. You tee the replays up, you go through two or three replays from different angles, and then you can impart the information to the referee. It obviously takes longer if you go to an on-field review, because physically the referee's got to go to the review area, look at the same footage again, come back and make his decision. And that tends to take two minutes, two and a half minutes. Those on-field reviews tend to happen about once every three games. Will aha penalty against Manchester City right at the end of the game there. A penalty was given. Some people thought it was, some people thought it wasn't. So in those grey areas, the VAR doesn't intervene. VAR will not make the game perfect. It's never intended to. The question the VAR asks himself is, is the action taken by the referee clearly and obviously wrong? If it's not, then we stay with the on-field decision. It's a little bit like the umpire's call in cricket. And that protects the integrity of the game. We don't want to be stopping and reviewing everything. If we keep to that high threshold, I think we'll get the benefits from it.
0: OK, well, this is the exact specifics of what's going to go on. VIR will alert the match referee if a clear, and you just heard this, didn't you, clear and obvious error has been made in one of four areas. It's only goals, penalties, straight reds and mistaken identity. The match referee can then take advice from the VAR in his earpiece or he can go to a pitch side monitor and check the evidence for himself. The final decision then rests with the match referee. And the issue is cleaned up before the referee starts play. Once play's been restarted, the slate is wiped clean with one exception, violent conduct. If an incident of this form occurs earlier in the match and then comes to light, the culprit can be given a red card. So that's the only time that you can go back um, in the match and look at other issues. The, The reality of this is that everyone's going to expect VAR to come in and be an instant success. But it's going to be something that evolves, isn't it? It isn't going to work every time straight away. It just simply isn't.
1: No, it's not. I, I've got a problem with, with VAR other than in offside situations, ball over the line. Why? And, and, and because they are definitive. Yeah. You, can, you know, you have a line, you can see that. I think the subjective situations, I mean, everybody's been arguing all week about, you know, penalties. Um, you know, was um, uh, was Arsenal's a... Uh, no, Chelsea's a penalty. Yeah. Hazard a penalty. Last night, was Lilana's a penalty or not? They are subjective. And I think that when there's subjectivity, it is a problem.
0: Well, let's have a look at last night's penalty then. Let's take this as a good example. The game is going on. Suddenly the referee hears that there may well have been a clear... And OK, first of all, this is the shove. So, this is... I suppose you could say this is an incident of, uh, of violent conduct. What do you think the VAR official would have made of that, Steve? I mean, I'm thinking... You, you can't believe the referee's missed it, can you?
3: And I thought it would have... Yeah, well, I thought it would have left it alone and left the referee deal with it because... You think the referee saw it? You know, you, everybody else saw the push, didn't you? And you just—I'd I'd hope that they just leave that well alone and leave it to the referee's discretion. Okay. Well like, they, like the penalty, like the the Wilf- I thought he—I don't Mike Riley. What spoke this thing. Thing. Well, again, I just think you'd just leave it to the referee's discretion. It's subjective. Everton fans think he, he, he went to ground too easy. Liverpool fans think he's put his arm round him a penalty, and you leave it to Bobby Madley's decision.
1: If the, if, the, uh, if the VAR referee says that in his opinion uh, he clear and obviously dived then that's an issue, isn't it? Mm. So, then, I'm not then,
3: sure there was anything yeah, but clear and obvious in that. I was going to say, a referee event. wouldn't say it was clear that but he died, would he? But it's still they?
1: subjective, isn't it?
3: But I think they have to leave it to yeah, Bobby Madley yeah. to make his own decision up then, don't they? And if he's given it, if he's given a penalty, I think he'd look at that if he was questioned and say, yeah, I've still given, an I've still given a penalty. World, in an ideal world. In an
1: ideal world, yeah.
0: But VAR is going to remain subjective. Unless the, the VAR referee comes out and says exactly why they came to a decision... Then it's, it's going to be debated in pubs and clubs and front rooms and on TV shows as it is now. It's, it's not going to get rid of the debate in football because so no. many of these incidents are. There might subjective. be a bit more
4: clarity. Mm. I think we need it. I think we need yeah. it. It's coming and we need it. And we might have six bumps and, you, as you say, might adjust. We might get rid of the whole thing. But even working here now or when I'm watching other games on telly, I find ourselves debating whether that was a penalty, whether that was enough of a shove, whether that was enough of a touch. Mm. Too much yeah. at the moment. So we need some clarity in some way, shape or form. And if, if this is going and watching the video again for the ref, if this is going to his mate who might in have academic disagreement, I think it has to get here somehow. Yeah.
3: I think the rules that we've set out there are really clear, a, a clear fun. and obvious yeah. error. Mm-hmm. I think we all... But what agree, is a clear and obvious error? Well, I error? think we all agree that the West Brom Mike Dean one where he gives a West Brom, uh, West Brom get a penalty in the last minute, we all agree that that was an error. Yeah. We all agree that it was not a penalty and Wenger's in trouble. And Mike Dean, the referee, has been absolutely pilloried and too much, really, in certain, in certain quarters about that decision. And I think that is a clear and obvious error. He got it wrong, and if, if he would have been able to see it again, he probably would have went, I've got that wrong, and and, and um,
0: changed this decision. Are we not, though, just going to move the conversation from a decision that the referee made on the
4: field to a decision that a referee made in a room watching a monitor? Well, yeah, but maybe, but I think it would be more sporadic because they, were, they have two eyes on it, then they go and watch the screen again. Mm. So... Yeah, the conversation will still be there, and we'll probably be even hotter yeah, on them then because yeah. they've had two looks at it, whatever. But mm-hmm. I, I do think uh, we're. How stage.
1: do you measure contact? And that, that's what I
4: don't. You know, it's instinct, the, isn't it? It's night,
0: experience. But
1: uh, I mean, you know, for example, the one last night, I, I thought actually it was a penalty because he stopped Lalana in his tracks. Lalana could have uh, got his shot off, and a lot of people said that there wasn't enough contact. I, I, yeah, no, but I don't, they're not going to get involved in that decision. Are they? They're just going to leave. They're just going to
3: leave, leave him alone. Are they not? That? No, no, they won't. Unless it's a clear and obvious but error. Unless it's a clear and obvious error. But the man upstairs
1: may think
0: it's a clear and obvious error. Well, he, I, don't yeah. I, don't, I don't think he will.
4: No. I don't think he will. That will be the test rate if a it. Yeah, yeah, strength. yeah. yeah, yeah, be, yeah. Okay,
0: well, well. I know you're reticent about it. And I think there will still be incidents it doesn't clear up. But what it will do, it will stop these really obvious moments where the poor referee hasn't got the 15,000 replays that we've got yeah. in super slow-mo. And he's standing there with no evidence trying to make the right decision. There are incidents where it just simply will help. It won't solve every problem. but I think will, it'll help, it with, will help those really. I think it'll help with managers. It'll help
3: with managers after the games as well. You know, being absolutely aghast that the decision never yeah. went away. If it's if it's looked at and clarified straight away, hopefully it'll give them a little bit of. I mean, it won't give all managers that, but it'll give them a little bit of peace of mind as well. Because you see how Arsene Wenger's reacted after that after that um, penalty at West
0: Brom. Yeah. You know He's been banned and he, he, that probably could have been cleared up in 30 seconds. A few comments again. Sam says, um, a disaster for football going to VAR. I'm a rugby and a cricket fan. All it does is slow down the game. Football is great because of the speed of the game. Uh, Vassos says VAR will be a disaster. Look at last year's Confed Cup. I predict it will be scrapped within a year. Mike Riley makes VAR sound like pure hell, says John Nicholson. <laughs> Mark my words, once you let this beast run free, it will have to be used for everything. It is irresistibly inconsistent otherwise. It's a brilliant point. And hello, John. Nice to know you're watching. Uh, and Andrew says the VAR has needed so many incorrect decisions lately. This will make watching football better. And I know exactly what's going to happen on Monday night. There will be no incidents for what the VAR you know. to be loads. Uh, Josh Burridge says papered over cracks. That's his three-word match report. Finlay. Coleman is clueless. That started quickly. Uh, Mick McCarthy out, says Mr C, another difficult day for Ripswich. um, And Richard Humphrey, posh, thrashed Villa. They did indeed. 3-1 win for Peter Barr. So Mike is with us because there's a a really interesting documentary going to be on BT Sport tomorrow evening, Sunday evening at 6.30, called No Hunger in Paradise. And it is the documentary about the fascinating book that that Mike wrote and investigated about youth football in this country. Um, I watched it. And I thought it was fascinating. And I, I, I sort of finished it by thinking, well, you highlighted some really serious issues with youth development in this country. But at the same time, we're winning World Cups at youth level. So is our youth system in, in this country in good health or not?
7: I think if you look at it, what I try to do is investigate the power of the dream. And the dream is embodied by the success, unprecedented success, at uh, international level that yeah. we've had this summer. But also the price of the dream you know, the success rate is 0.012%. So what happens to the rest of the boys? And that was, you know, are these... uh, They're they're commodities in many ways. I was interested in in the way that parents dealt with their own sense of responsibilities in that. Uh, How clubs, you know, use the system for their own ends. How an industry has basically taken over innocence. And that was the thing that I wanted to look at. In overall terms, if you look at them technically, you know, you've seen them at, at, at Chelsea, Frank. In terms of the technical ability now of the young players, it's improved immeasurably over the last three to four years. But what I also wanted to do was just look at what. Let's look at what happens
0: when the dream mm. dissolves. Parents was the, the big takeaway for you from watching the. <laughs> I doctor. did.
4: I watched it as well, and I, I took away parents because <clears throat> my nephew plays. And unfortunate because I came from a footballing background, so I grew up kind of aware of stuff. But I think parents now, from what I know at Chelsea, it's not the same across the board. but they're very, made very aware of the pitfalls for their sons, whether they're eight or 12 or 14. The probabilities they won't make it. Yeah. And then I think the parents seem to me to take on this kind of different sense of, of, of normality, where also, my boy's going to be a superstar. Yeah. And then they wonder and they're complaining when the boys have been let go by the clubs. And I agree the clubs do have a duty of care, but they're also clambering for this massive contract for their, yeah. for their boy. And then they cry their eyes out when their boy is let down and goes down a different path. And I just think that parents have to go calm down, everything. Go and play football at your club, educate yourself, work hard at school, play another sport, have another interest. And then if it all does come, the 99.7% or whatever it is, they have a backdrop. And, and I saw it and I thought Kieran... Was it Kieran Bywater? Kieran Bywater at West Ham, yeah. At the end of the, of, the, of the documentary speaks brilliantly because he's actually gone through this whole process and at the end of it he goes, if I could go back, I would have done all these things to broaden it and I wouldn't have maybe have had the, the mm. virtual breakdown he seemed to
7: have. Academy football was a brilliant people-watching business because you, know, you can actually get among the parents and you just ear- earwig them, yeah. listen to them and you, you see the envy, you hear the fear and... There's, there's, a, there's huge competitiveness between the parents and there's a lot of bitchiness. Yeah. And as you said, Frank, there's a lack of perspective. We're talking about young boys here. And the other thing I think we need to be aware of is that it's getting younger, there's a race to the bottom. You know, we've, we've seen examples of clubs approaching boys of three years old, yeah. which is insane.
2: Yeah.
7: Uh, you look around, say, in the Northwest, which is a huge area, there are five and six year olds who are at Manchester United one night, Manchester City the next, Everton the next, Liverpool the next. These kids have been taken out of their schools, they're eating in the back of the cars. They're six years old, they're children. That's where I think the duty of care comes in. It's too early. And as in the film, you know, Gareth Southgate does say that you, you are too, you're going in too early on this. Six, seven, you, can't, you can't tell a
1: player at seven years old. Let's, let. it, it destroys childhoods. Yeah. I mean, it does. You know, we always hear the success stories. Uh, but but you know if, if you're in the system from 3 to 16 you get rejected at 16 You know you you think it's going to be a natural progression their parents do mm. and then you get released your whole world falls apart
0: Well, this is what Gareth had to say actually he features
1: in
4: the documentary. Here's, here's a clip What I would say is that I think we take them too young. I don't see how anybody can take a seven or eight year old kid into an academy and realistically have a conversation with them or their family that talks about being a professional at the end, because for me, impossible. They, they might be a talent, but that is, a, that is a, some journey you've got to go on. I worry that kids are signed up too early and, and that the dream is there at, at, at an age where it's impossible for anybody to know what's going to happen.
0: So is this an issue of a lack of regulation? Because if you're Chelsea and you're competing against Man United, you're competing against Man City, you're competing against Liverpool, competing against Arsenal, and you're finding the best six or seven-year-olds, naturally you go, look for the best four or five-year-olds, look for the best three, and it's it's going to get lower and lower. As you say, it's a race to the bottom. And if, I think someone said in your documentary, if this was a hedge fund business, Mm. and they were exploiting and grooming children for profit, which is exactly what's happening, then the regulation would be unbelievable. So where, where, where is the regulation for someone to step in and say, actually, it's not healthy. It's not healthy for a four, three, four, five-year-old to be taken into an academy. I think it's an under-regulated
7: world. And you see this, you know, you you, you hear anecdotally of agents arranging transfers between academies for 12-year-olds. You hear of 14, 13, 14-year-olds. There was one in particular offered a professional contract guaranteed to kick in when he's 17 at £45,000 a week. So if you're projecting that lifestyle those riches on a young boy it will fry his brains it will fry my brains uh, as an adult so what are we doing with our kids in, in that sense are we selling them the dream which ultimately for most of them will be an impossible dream
4: I'll go back to the parents and I might bore you but I just do think that they have an awareness and a perspective I think from Chelsea, which I know very well, and Arsenal, which I know from my nephew, they get looked after brilliantly. I think it's a fantastic childhood. You get a chance to play football. You get an opportunity. Their boots are clean. The pitches are pristine. The coaches are telling them the right messages. They get counsellors. They get support. They get back up. I think as a parent, support. Take your boy there. Brilliant. And people do this all the time. Drive them around the motorway. Take them there. And then let the clubs do it with them. But give them the idea that maybe every day, you might not make it, son. You have to educate yourself. Do all these things. And then you give a backdrop. Rather than they're pushing their boys down the route. And then, what and then about the explosion. support mechanism when they get released, though? No, I, I agree there should be a support mechanism. But it's you know it, the, the clubs then have to move on. That is the nature of it. It's like you leave university, you don't go and get a job. I can't go back to university and say, well, can you? You know, it was your fault. Uh, you have to be aware that I'm in the big wide world now. I feel like it's a, you know I agree, but, support, it, but, it's but, it, but it's
1: hard when you're 12, and 13, isn't it? And you're with a club all those years, and all of a sudden you get rejected. And there doesn't seem to be that support mechanism. Mm. There is, we'll there is
7: there's an element of, of premature professionalism here, where you've got boys from the age of nine, almost encouraged, maybe subliminally, to actually think, this is my job. Mm. I, I, mm. I, I talked to Sean Dyche about it recently, yes. and Sean was saying, sometimes you know, you, you'll see a boy at 16 to 18, and he's almost a husk, because he's been through it all, he's yeah. been through the pressure, and it's overwhelmed him. Whereas if that same boy had a more normal childhood, multi-sport backgrounds maybe, Mm. better education or a longer education, those sort of players now are finding themselves at 18 to 20 in non-league football. They're the ones who bounce back. They're the ones who get to a pro club and think,
0: I want this, Mm. I need this. And it's a completely different mindset. It's just just incredibly competitive, isn't it? Mm. It's dominated now by the top clubs. It's very difficult for a team like Norwich to compete because if Norwich go out and find a great six-year-old, will you be guaranteed that Chelsea or someone else will be sniffing around, seeing what goes on? And off they go. Brentford, Huddersfield, close in their academies. It said in your documentary, there's more Manchester City scouts in Huddersfield than there were Huddersfield but scouts. It, it, so, it, seems,
1: it seems like you have to be all in now. Where years ago, when I first started, you'd you played a variety of sports and find your way, now it's you know six years old and you have to dedicate your, your life to a football club, you can't play with your mates at school, that's wrong, that can't
4: be right. I think as a parent, don't, don't get too excited, support your son, mm-hmm. and you know like everyone's watching YouTube and the skills and the being made, actually get them to watch this documentary, get them yeah. to listen to an interview with Stephen Gerrard, who's speaking about it on the documentary, and, all. and actually show them that side, just level it down a little bit and then, and then let them be. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating
0: documentary, and I wish we could have another half an hour to talk about it. Sadly, we haven't. Um, but I just think, I do wonder whether winning these tournaments recently is going to change things. I wonder whether these young players are finally going to get more trust from coaches, more time from their parents to, get, you know, to be who they want to be. Don't forget, the FA Cup is live on BT Sport throughout the season and you can catch up with all the best moments of the Cup on the BT Sport app as well as our dedicated social media platforms. Thanks for listening to this special edition of our Premier League Tonight podcast. Next week we'll be at Wembley as Tottenham take on Everton. Make sure you join us then, live on BT Sport. And if you enjoyed this week's show, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Bye for now.